Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome to Speed Zone. I'm your host, Ben Cower, on this Wednesday night in Huntington, West Virginia. It's a little chilly outside. It's getting dark sooner or earlier. We're back to our normal time tonight. How fitting uh, as the last two episodes had to move it up a little bit because it was too, uh, it was. It was basketball two weeks ago, and then soccer a week ago, and now we're finally back at our normal time. I'm stalling. You know why? Because not a lot happened in racing this past week, at least with regard to racing itself, racing events. There really wasn't a lot, so we're going to bypass the flag-to-flag segment tonight. We'll really just really jump straight into the racing roundtable, but there's a couple events that happened this past week and are happening, I guess, this weekend in racing. We'll go over it. Uh, We've got plenty of topics to talk about tonight on the roundtable as uh, we'll have a full panel tonight with multiple guest panelists, uh, really regulars at this point, but uh, we'll be really going over a retrospective of the NASCAR season at large, expectations for next year, and uh, more on this episode. We'll also be talking about the Formula One uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix. That'll also be a chatting point tonight. It's really the big thing happening this weekend in uh, racing news and racing events. So really, this is, this is the what's up this week segment. We're running it a little out of order tonight because again flag to flag there was really nothing that happened a week ago so it's really just jumping right now into the what's up this week segment the best segment of the show because i get to tell you the listener what the heck is up this week and uh, you're gonna have to wait until saturday night at 11:30 p.m at least on the east coast here uh, if you want to watch the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix. So it's going to be a bit of a late race, but if you're a Formula One fan, you're used to late nights where most races are starting 1 a.m., 12.30 in the morning, maybe sometimes even 3 or 4 in the morning uh, as races are happening all around the world uh, nearly every weekend uh, in Formula One. And you're used if you're here on the East Coast or even the West Coast, you're used to, I guess, staying up for some late nights to watch Formula One. So uh, this should be no different if you're conditioned to Formula One. But if you haven't watched a Formula One race all year long, hey, you know, this is your first. You might have to stay up a little late on Saturday night to watch it, but it's going to be one heck of an event as, that's right, Formula One cars racing down the Vegas Strip. It's a beautiful circuit, and whether it will put on good racing or not, we'll just have to wait and see. But again, that'll be happening on Saturday night. Also happening this week uh, in the realm of racing and weekend, uh, Florence is going to have the uh, South Carolina 250. That'll be on my birthday, the 17th, so two days from now on Friday. Again, 250 miles at Florence. Uh, the Delaware State Championships at Delaware also happening the 17th through the 18th, Friday and Saturday. And uh, USAC will be racing at Placerville again uh, on the 18th. Uh, the Hangtown 100 is this weekend. And also, again, the South Carolina 400 at Florence. It's the big race of the weekend. Uh, that'll be the 18th. So Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Again, the South Carolina 400 at Florence. That's uh, really the big late model race of the weekend nationally uh, down at Florence. And USAC Midgets also at Merced uh, later on in the weekend. But really, that's that's all that's happening this weekend in the realm of racing. Not a ton. Uh, if you have a streaming service, whether it's Flow Racing, it's presumably where you're going to find the majority of this racing outside of the Formula One Grand Prix, where that's going to be on ESPN on Saturday evening. So, not a ton of racing going on this week, but hey, if you want to search it out, you want to watch something, there are still some events to watch. So good on you if you do seek those out. And I guarantee you it's going to be fairly entertaining one way or the other. So we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, it is going to be the racing roundtable where uh, myself and two guest panelists are going to discuss uh, a retrospective of the NASCAR season at large. We're going to talk about the Formula One Grand Prix and more. Up next, here on Speed Zone.
I'm Eric Kippel, 10-year veteran of the NFL. And I'm Captain Mark McNeil, 16-year veteran of the Army National Guard. Whether on the playing field or the battlefield, you must be both physically and mentally fit. If you're injured, you owe it to yourself and your teammates to get back to peak performance. It doesn't matter if you've got a broken bone, depression, a traumatic brain injury, PTSD, or another psychological wound. Getting help shows strength, not weakness. To find out more, go to realwarriors.net or call 866-966-1020. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who is at the table today should be no shock or surprise. They've been here really on and off, really the majority of the season. But when one isn't here, the other is. And then when the other isn't here, they are also here. But Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure. Oh, whoa, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We're really, mov- we're really moving fast into <laughs> stop, the racing Stop, stop, stop. See, I've got so comfortable with the system I'm working here. It's, uh, if I don't put it in manual, much like a car, the car's going to keep on rolling down the hill into the uh, next break for the ads. So, Feeling And usually break. I had to manipulate it a little bit this week because we're doing the show a little out of order. But uh, no, it's fine now. The car is in park. I would love to hear that car zoom out. <laughs> You're feeling like Fred Durst right now. You're keeping, keep rolling, rolling, rolling. What? What? You ever listen to Limp Biscuit, Dale? Okay, so anyways. <laughs> uh, you know, that's how, that's a good start to the show. We're talking about Limp Biscuit, which is a great band, by the way. <laughs> just going just gonna to leave that hanging? No, we're just going to leave that hanging. Yes. Yes. Agree. I hear you. <laughs> All right, so it's time for our first topic tonight. Yeah, and we're, it's a bit of a retrospective for the NASCAR season this year, and uh, a lot happened. So I posted the panel tonight. First topic, I guess, in this retrospective. Favorite moments from the NASCAR season at large. This isn't just the Cup Series, gentlemen. This is also including Xfinity and trucks, if you'd like. Dale, let's start out with you. Uh, I've really just got two moments that were my favorites to highlight. Um, number one for me, obviously, is the return to North Wilkesboro. Um, I don't think anybody ever thought we would return there, especially after seeing numerous photos from years past there. It just looked dilapidated and abandoned, and it somehow is back on the schedule and now is getting repaved. So uh, that's pretty cool. But the return to Wilkesboro was awesome from a historical perspective and even though the racing didn't live up to the hype but the weekend certainly did i know people that went to that Wilkesboro race and they said the atmosphere was just incredible and my other moment was the talladega fall finish where actually everybody kept it straight and came back to the flag and we had a a photo finish between kevin harvick and ryan blaney which ultimately that win set up ryan blaney's title run so those are my two favorite moments I really only have one. The return to North Wilkesboro was was great, but really this uh, the entirety of the Chicago race has been my favorite moment of the NASCAR season since it happened. I remember listening to the majority of the race on MRN when I was uh, on my way back from uh, Philadelphia, and I was certain that it wasn't even going to happen when I heard about the the tire floating down pit lane prior to the prior to the start of the race when I heard that I went okay this this just isn't happening and then I saw I heard that uh, SVG was starting in third I believe but he was mm-hmm. he was starting up there and I remember thinking to myself huh he's up there It'll, it'll be funny if he if he wins today, and sure enough, he did. It just plus the uh, the views of the track from the cameras on NBC and uh, Van Gisbergen coming out of the final turns with like the sunset in the background and the train and the traffic and everything uh, in the background. It, it 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 looked like something out of either either a movie or like a like a scene from that Ayrton Senna tribute that Top Gear did with that Radiohead song in the background. It, it was just the entire moment of it was was really was really cool to see. But the North Wilkesboro uh, race was cool too, even if the racing was much like the rest of the short tracks that we saw from the rest of the year. 
and and it really wasn't much but he again it was still so cool to see racing return to north wilkesboro this year i mean dale you weren't lying uh, if you are a nascar fan a racing fan i mean maybe even someone who doesn't watch racing there's videos and articles and i mean it's one of the it's very popular it was up until really a year ago uh, at this time when money started getting funneled into the speedway to fix it up and there's a lot of construction going on uh, to revitalize that place after its successful uh, cars tour race it had a sold out crowd and that was really awesome to see a year ago and uh, I mean, it was a very popular urban exploration place. It was weeds growing up to the pavement. It had been abandoned uh, really since 1996. And not often do tracks abandoned for that long ever get brought back to life. It, it was a shock, but, you know, I guess the clamor in the NASCAR, uh, you know, in the past five to ten years, NASCAR has really, I guess, taken an effort, and especially even in the 75th anniversary season. I think that is also uh, something important to name here was the 75th season of the NASCAR Cup Series and NASCAR's existence. And that was very fitting to bring back a track that was on that original schedule. All the way back, 1949, there's really only two tracks that are still on the schedule from that moment in time, Martinsville and North Wilkesboro. And for the last... 20 to 25 years it was only martinsville really that survived and now north wilkesboro is back there's so much money and life put back into that entire facility and for years and years and years i mean not on air but uh, to friends i had discussions with said if any money was put into that place you know wilkes county <laughs> would bypass any rules, any laws. They could build anything they want to try and do anything they want to that facility. Uh, no building codes, anything. Just put it back together so we can get NASCAR racing back here. Because without NASCAR, I mean, the economy of Wilkes County really tanked. Mm -hmm. It struggled for the last 20 to 25 years. And it was not, it didn't do well because NASCAR left a place where it had been for 50 years. Know that point. And I mean, really, the only other time I can think of in at least recent memory that came close to this was when Rockingham returned in the in the truck series for a couple of years. But even then, it wasn't nearly the same result as 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 this, both outside, as you mentioned, with Wilkes County uh, getting, you know, that much revenue from NASCAR and the historical context of it, too. I uh, I guess the North Wilkesboro race was the all-star race going there. I thought it was very fitting in the first thing. And I was so pumped. It was really exciting to see. They had to bring extra stands on the back stretch. And the best part of it all was the fact that it, the pavement was still the same. It was patched to oblivion, but it was the same pavement that you know, NASCAR Cup Series ran on all the way back in 1996 when it left the facility. And there was weeds growing through all that pavement and all the time in between and fix it up enough to get the cars on that same exact pavement. Yet again, it had been, I mean, that stuff had been there since the 70s. I mean, it was there for a real long time. And it was cool to bridge that generation gap with just one little thing. It didn't necessarily create the most crazy racing, but uh, it's what won Kyle Larson the event with tire strategy. It added a different layer to the race. And just to see that place alive again, it was really, really, really cool. And Sean, to your point, with the Chicago street race, and, or the street circuit specifically, uh, it was... That was also awesome. And for a moment there in time, it appeared as if the parade was going to be rained on, quite literally. The, the Xfinity race for the first time in, I don't know, since, goodness, it might in the modern era of NASCAR, a race was not able to finish. They just ended that race before halfway. The, the Xfinity race the Saturday before only got about 10 laps in before basically it, the rain didn't stop it was a hurricane level amount of rain that just got dumped on the facility could not resume racing there's not lights around it even though it's in his you know in the middle of a city but uh, there wasn't lights to, and on the speedway and these cars don't have lights either so even though the cars are equipped to run in rain just could not resume and cole custer got declared the winner there after only like what 10 11 laps but same thing happened the next day just buckets of rain dumped everywhere and the race kept getting pushed back and back and back and i mean nbc was there there's a good crowd on hand mark uh, 
NASCAR had dumped millions of dollars and, and fought so much in Chicago politics to even make this race a thing and even arguably sacrifice Chicagoland Speedway to try and make this race a thing. And finally, the racing got going, the track dried up enough, the rain stopped, and it just created some of the... It was a magical event. It got shortened a little bit, but that ended up working into its favor. It created so much strategy, added with the, coupled with the fact that there were no cautions for the stages. And Shane Van Gisbergen in his NASCAR debut, there had been hyped drivers in the past where, oh man, this road ringer is going to come and he's in solid equipment. Maybe he could shake up the field a little bit. We've seen it in the past, primarily in the trucks and Xfinity, where a guy can step into a car, have the right equipment as a bit of a ringer, come in and then blow the field away and Ben Gisbergen was the first driver in the modern era of NASCAR to realistically do that since I mean the days of you, you go all the way back to when Formula One racers would hop in the cars at Riverside in the 50s and the 60s and and the showed way, up the field and the way that he won, first race and the way that he won too was so satisfying to watch after that start of ro- of road course racing that we saw earlier in the season with Circuit of the Americas ending as messy as it did but with Van Gisbergen just flat out being faster than everyone else and just all clean passes all the way through it was it was very satisfying to watch at the end I'd say a couple of my favorite moments from this year. Uh, I'd say definitely the, the both things that you guys mentioned. Uh, I enjoyed both of those incredibly. I loved Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning the Daytona 500. That had such a one-car team. One of the it might be the only one-car team with now Live Fast is now gone out of the Cup Series. Uh, one of the only one-car teams in the entirety of the upper echelon of the Cup Series uh, in NASCAR. Really a David versus Goliath scenario, Stenhouse and JTG Darty Racing, which is the racing team for the 47 car that won, really had a bad year before. Comes to Daytona and then survives. Stenhouse runs, and we were talking about it on the show, ran the most un-Stenhouse-like race ever at a plate track, and then he ends up winning the race. It, it just gave me the same warm, fuzzy feeling of like a, a McClure car winning in the mid-90s at Daytona, where it's just a one-car team. And they go out, Sterling Marlin. Sterling Marlin being very much a plate track ace, he goes out there and wins... He ended up winning two in a row. Maybe Stenhouse can do that next year. Who knows? But it was that was a really cool moment. It was an underdog story, really, at the 500. And uh, it was fantastic racing at uh, at Talladega not too long ago in the playoffs where cars were finally able to go three and four wide. It was fantastic racing. Didn't wreck all. Didn't wad up the field all the way until the finish of the race when Corey LaJoy decided it, it was it was time. <laughs> And yes. uh, it, it didn't end very well. But then again, it was a photo finish, too. I, you love photo finishes at Talladega. Ryan Blaney, that set up, arguably, his title run. He was a different racer after that win than before it. And cre- helped Ryan Blaney win the championship, of which another one of my favorite moments of the season, where Blaney is such a... A fan favorite driver? No, he's not the favorite guy. I would be shocked if he won most popular driver. It's going to be Chase Elliott. But he but could. He could. He it's looking could. pretty strong. There was a poll on Reddit this week that showed Blaney was popular. He was on top of it. Elliott was third behind Chastain. Mm-hmm. That's a bit shocking. I mean, Elliott had a down year, but... I mean, with... be cool to see. I mean, Blaney's a popular driver and turned into a different driver down the stretch, and he was able to finally secure what... I mean... His dad, who had so much success in dirt racing, won championships there and then came over to NASCAR. And you know, certainly wasn't a bad driver, was Dave, was Dave Blaney, but was only ever able to win one race. And that was just a Bush Series race at Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Never, his dad never really had the success. And then Ryan shows up and he's this you know, kid with a ton of talent, as much as he needs to win a championship. And this year evolved into that different driver, stepped up at the end. And finally push himself to that limit. Sean, I'm sorry I cut you off. I was just going to say, you mentioned how it was surprising to you that Elliot was not atop a, an early poll of uh, the most popular driver. I, I think with how arguably divided uh, Elliot has been between you know, his supporters and really everyone else, it's not as surprising anymore. And 
I, I, I would say that Chastain still being second over him is a bit surprising, but with the run that Blaney had in the playoffs, I'm not entirely surprised at him being on top as of right now. <laughs> Another two more moments that I really love this year, and it was the what I'd call the the year of the ringer, where in it we include the Chicago street circuit with Shane Van Gisbergen coming and winning in his first ever start. Michael McDowell upsetting the field to make the playoffs with his walk-off victory at the Brickyard. You know, in a, in a field that was arguably the most talented road course racer field in the modern era of NASCAR with how much talent was in that field with regard to road course ringers, it was Michael McDowell with Front Row Motorsports winning the race over Chase Elliott, who had been one of, if not is probably the best road course racer cop regular in the series the past couple of years. And he outdueled Elliott mano a mano to win at the Brickyard. That was awesome. And then also the emotion that A.J. Allmendinger had when he won at the Roval and the playoffs. I mean, that it's always a special occasion getting to witness an Allmendinger win, especially in Cup, because he is... He is what I wish everybody celebrated as when they win a Cup Series race, where he is just electric. He's wired that he was able to even win a Cup Series race and the emotion out pouring out of him after winning that race. He, he admitted he didn't know if it was ever going to happen again. It's a Cup Series race, in his words. No, you don't ever know if you're ever going to be able to win one again. And Almendinger was able to win one, and it was... It might be his last. Who knows how, how many races or where he'll be racing next year, uh, presumably for Carleg. But uh, I really love that this year. That was really, really cool. And I guess throughout the season, it was a bit disappointing that Kevin Harvick was never able to win a race in his final season. But they NASCAR did it right this year with Harvick's final season. It was set up right, and then just the tribute schemes he was able to run, the fan support. It was overall a wonderful season getting to send off Kevin Harvick. And sure, the speed of the cars weren't there really at Stuart Haas Racing where it needed to be, and the Bristol night race was ugly, Dale. We were there, and it was, it was that four car was undrivable. It was bad. It was bucking around the track like a like a bull ride. You know, someone trying to ride a bull. It was probably the worst performance I've ever seen out of Kevin Harvick. Yeah, and the car was that undrivable. But outside of that, I mean, Harvick had a really cool final season. I loved seeing him return to the 29 car mm-hmm. at the All Star race, and the car that he was that he won with. Not the exact; it was the paint scheme that he won with at uh, Atlanta in 2001. And for a lot of people, was a hero in their fandom of the sport. Where so many people were down and out after the tragic death of Dale Earnhardt Sr. And Harvick is this you know, young kid with a little bit of an attitude and he's got a lot of talent, gets thrown into the Cup Series and then just, what, two, three races in, is able to beat the best of the best, Jeff Gordon, in a photo finish at Atlanta in one of the most emotional moments, really, in NASCAR history. What a send-off for the closer, and I am more than excited, more than pumped to get to hear him in the Fox Sports booth next year. You know what we did not get in his final year? What? A good wrench 2005 throwback. We did not. Ooh, that is true. Very upset about it. Yeah. I wonder if it was a GM thing that prevented that from happening. Possibly. Where, Maybe. Because we, we did get a good wrench throwback, which was the yes. one at, at the at the all-star race at North Wilkesboro. But, and, and a Budweiser throwback. And a Budweiser throwback, which is very cool, to his 2014 championship. One of his one of his best schemes with Budweiser, too. Yes. It, I would say it was his best scheme with Budweiser. I really like the black the, the black car that he had, too. That one was that one was cool. That was a cool I car. I liked, I liked that. The one he won the title with, though, the 2014 car was so iconic. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then even his Bush Light scheme this year was really cool. I thought it was his best Bush Light scheme he's probably ever run. But mm-hmm. again, how fitting it was in his final season. But overall, a uh, delightful season of NASCAR racing, uh, specifically in the Cup Series. I can't go also one more. Spring Kansas, that was a probably the best next-gen race we've ever seen. The racing in that 
it was a complete race from start to finish and I know Dale won't like it because of what happened at the end uh, but Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin in a classic duel we even had a fight at the end between Noah Gragson and Ross Chastain but the racing the cars were able to effortlessly go three and four wide and hang with each other there was strategy there was everything in that race 37 lead changes in that race 37 lead changes that's a lot and it was a great race Coke 600 was was also mm-hmm. I love that too. It was really a return to form. Last year had the most cautions and the I don't know since the 05 race, but uh, this one was it was much more natural. It worked out. Ryan Blaney in a in a good race and the racing is great at Charlotte. I wish they would race the oval twice, but I digress. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll stop rambling, but it was a great season in in NASCAR racing. On to the next topic, which again, still here in the world of NASCAR, uh, it was, let's say, you know, you know, we're talking about favorite moments, least favorite moment of the year. Uh, Sean, I'll start with you. I this one is also pretty easy for me too, considering that I also saw it live. The ending to the Pocono race. I don't think I have been more angry at the finish of a race than I was there. When I saw the wreck happen around turn two, I and, well, everyone else around me was was thinking, oh, cool, caution, all right, they're going to rack them back up again. But just the more that uh, that lap went on, the more I realized, oh, this this isn't happening. They're, they're just going to call it and give Hamlin the race. For the, for the listeners that might not remember, could you describe who was involved and what happened? I'd Honestly, I don't remember who was in. It was the, Hamlin. It, well, it, it was Hamlin and Larson before that, mm-hmm. but I don't remember who uh, who spun out around turn two. But Justin Haley. Justin Haley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Justin Haley spun out. It wasn't in turn two, but it was, it was close to it. Uh, set up a restart. Set up a restart, and there was a little bit of contact with Hamlin running Larson up into the wall. Just a little bit? But just, just a little bit. Did Pri- exactly what he did a year ago with Chastain. Yes, pri- uh, prior to... Same turn. Yes. Same late restart. Same guy. <laughs> pri- uh, prior to that wreck, that, that was uh, the major conflict, I guess, before the Haley spin. But Haley spun out it wasn't in the middle of the track it was close it was closer down to the bottom so because it wasn't really in the way of the car uh, of uh, the cars nascar didn't really throw the caution until near the very end of the lap and that basically ended ended it uh for hamlin and uh the ending with uh the fans maybe not the best look there were one or two fans that threw uh, bottles down at hamlin but nonetheless uh, it was that was probably my least favorite ending other than uh, the circuit of the americas race you, or, the, or the truck series race in phoenix you weren't at bristol for the absolute hatred that the entire grandstands had for denny hamlin <laughs> I, you're right i i wasn't there it but. was um it was a lot but anyway least favorite moments Short track package woes continue. Yes. Yeah. Um, certainly a disappointment. Got a bit better at Phoenix, but yeah, still a long way to go. I mean, even you know, <clears throat> even Martinsville wasn't that bad. That bad. It was a new good. tire that they brought. The spring race brought. was. They 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 uh, learned. NASCAR learned from its mistakes. I, I guess. I well, guess. they're still working on it. They're still mm-hmm. working on it, but it's a slow process. But yeah, it's it it sucks because notoriously we all know that short tracks put on the best show, and. To feel like we're getting robbed of that with this package is just—it's upsetting. Um, primarily, it's due to them shifting. <clears throat> you should not be shifting on a short track, that, especially not in Martinsville. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes—you know—everybody's at the top of their RPMs. Nobody can pass each other, so um, that sucked. And then I might have a hot take here: the Atlanta races. I can't stand them because of what they did to it. I loved it when it was worn out. Yeah, it probably needed to be repaved, considering how old it was. But I just. <laughs> What they took was a strategy race and a huge tire management race and turned it into a mini, mini super speedway. I know they did it last year too, but I just 
every time that it is on, it is just painful to watch for me. And then the carnage on top of all of it for really no reason, it's just foolish to me. I would say even even the North Wilkesboro race, once you get past the historical context of it and just the fact that they're racing there It was at a all, bit of a, a bummer. It, it, it yes. was. It, it was just sort of one groove and one dimensional racing for a majority of it. And it was disappointing when you get past that. And hopefully it it gets better next next year or even the year after that so it doesn't become a thing where you know like Rockingham about 10 years ago after the novelty of going back to a track that fans clamored for for so for so many years once that novelty wears off and it gets back to the normal racing everyone doesn't just go oh this is actually kind of boring now <laughs> mm-hmm. they uh I would say a couple of my least favorite moments of the season. I mean, you got you briefly mentioned it, but the truck series finale was one of the most embarrassing things I think I've, I've witnessed in a, as being a fan of this sport. That was an ugly race. That was really, really ugly. And you know, overall, I, I would I would even argue the quality of the racing in the truck series as a whole has not been up to par where it's really needed to be this year. And hopefully it gets better next year but really the it was the season in a nutshell it all came down to what happened uh at at phoenix and it was very fitting didn't mean it was very good but it it was very fitting and uh you know i uh what else did i not like the I don't know. I mean, it, there was a lot more that I liked this year than I didn't like. Look at um, this positive guy. I'm, a, I'm, you know, it's silver lining. What, what did I hate this year? Um, there wasn't really a lot of domination, which I don't hate. Uh, there's more parody. Uh, I'm just going through it in my mind. What did I not like? Um, this is raw, unedited uh, footage from Mr. Bankower. You know what I didn't like was the, the Bush clash. Uh, yeah, I think that should move and or go somewhere else. Uh, another thing I don't like is uh, the entire situation with the Auto Club Speedway. And I know that it eventually needed to happen because the surface was degrading past the point. Same thing as Atlanta, but mm-hmm. uh, I just hate the fact that that track is no longer going to be a track here in NASCAR. You know, I'm intrigued as to what's going to happen with it, but I hate that it's going away. I'm going to miss it a lot. And, you know, it with this new car, it's so frustrating because it is the perfect track mm-hmm. with the perfect amount of wear on the track for this next-gen car. And now it's gone. Another, okay, I remember a moment, Circuit of the Americas. That was embarrassing. I hated that. The ending of Circuit of the Americas was, was embarrassing. I'm glad that is not happening. And then... Uh, you know, I'll go with something in the recent memory, too. What happened with RCR at Martinsville mm. and just the debauchery of that of that botched job of a finish to that race. That organization has been so much better in the past, and I know that it can be better. And that's what made it so disappointing was how that entire situation was handled because it was one of the most immature things that, uh, from a professional race team I've witnessed in a while, at least on the NASCAR side. Uh, you know, another thing that I really hate seeing happen, this is a, a minuscule thing, but this is so tiny in the grand scheme of things, but Norm Benning all the way at Daytona. It's, it's been sitting in the back of my mind all year long where Norm Benning showed up in a glory-to-God racing truck, Tim Vienz. He was fourth fastest in practice, and I was so excited. And then he didn't even make the race because they sabotaged the truck. <laughs> that still angers me, and I'm angry for Norm on that front. I want to see Norm come back from that. That's so tiny, but I wanted to mention that. <laughs> I wanted to mention that. That's That's been rattling around in there until now. Uh, another thing I don't like is, or I guess it wasn't necessarily a moment, but um, it was, I mean, it was a moment in the sense of news, but uh, the fact that we're not racing at, at Road America anymore in any series, that's, that, I hate that so much because there's, uh, the crowds are always great. I love that raw racing. It was the most challenging circuit on the entire schedule in NASCAR across any series that was running it, primarily the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. It's, I mean, it's a four-mile-long road course, and it's so demanding of these drivers. You have to hustle the car around it, and then we were deprived of that this year, and I, I didn't like that. Plus, um, at, plus at a time when NASCAR's adding more 
road courses than ever and making a point to do so and bringing in uh, more F1 guys as a, as a result of that. It is kind of disappointing to see Road America go out mm. of out of all of those out of all of those tracks. And he, I have this will be my final gripe. This is my least favorite moment of the season, I would say. And it, again, it would seem kind of minuscule in the law in the grand scheme of things, but I will argue why it's not. And it was NASCAR going back on a rule it set in stone at the beginning of the year with the stage cautions at the Roval. And it was a great change. It improved the quality of the racing and the natural flow of the road courses this year where there were stage cautions removed from the caution aspect of the stages was removed. And it made the road courses so much more enjoyable to watch, even if they were shorter. The racing was so much more natural. And it it, it felt good. It felt like a normal race. And wasn't cheesy. Then NASCAR, in arguably the most important road course race of the year because it's in the playoffs and it's a cutoff race goes back on that and that's even worse in the grand scheme of things because nascar can't stick with the rule change it made at the beginning of the year that the fans liked the fans wanted it some sure thought Watkins Glen could have been better but that's how you know that's how races go that's how races did go before stage cautions back in the day sometimes you had quick races because there were just no cautions somebody waxed the field William Byron did I hate I hate, hate, hate the fact that NASCAR went back on that because it's it's glaring in the sense that NASCAR will inevitably do the same again in the future with a change that the fans might love and it helps the races become more natural again and it will err on the side of entertainment to switch it up and I hate that so much and I really, really, really that still is bothering me and I hope I really hope that NASCAR doesn't do that again next year. And I I hope that NASCAR next year, please go back to having no cautions at the stages for road courses. Please. You should have hit the Benny Hill thing. I should have, but it was not that long (laughs) enough of a rant. Uh I think it was just a shame that that happened. I agree with that. I, I do agree with that too. I didn't I didn't even think of that, but yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. That's point. not minuscule. That's pretty major. Too. Yeah, it bothered me a lot. I would say that was easily my most least favorite moment of the year because NASCAR went back on itself after mm-hmm. a year of consistency overall. I mean, at least on the cup level, it wasn't switching things around and all the craziness of post COVID. You know, and finally we're back to some normalcy here the crowds are the best they've been in years and you you go and do that and it's just so baffling at the end of the season to do that but i digress on to the next topic here on speed zone this evening i'd say uh what was your most shocking moment of 2023 dale we'll start with you Sean touched on it a lot, but I'm going to focus on the winner of that race rather than the Chicago Street Circuit, is SVG winning Chicago was clearly shocking in a positive way. Um, Nobody, you know, nobody expected him to come over here and and do what he did. And I just remember forever in my mind will live when he was just hunting down Justin Haley and then Justin Haley passed him back only to be passed again in the next corner. But just... That might be the most incredible piece of driving I've ever seen out of somebody. Absolutely incredible. I agree. Um, Big fan of that moment for sure. Um, Sean, were you going to say something? Uh, I I was just going to... Was that going to be your moment? Was well, it, it's 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 one of them. <laughs> Did I spoil it, Sean? It's it, it's one of them, but I have another one. The other one was Kansas. I was really surprised by the quality of that race. I mean, in years past, Kansas has not exactly been the most exciting track, and with this package, it it, it really it really worked. And as you touched on, Ben, there was even there was even a fight at the end. There was a, a little uh, cherry on top for fans, at least a skirmish, a, a, little, a little, skirmish, a little scrum, yeah, but scrum. Uh, the quality of the Chicago race did also surprise me just for how unimpressed I was initially or I remember being before I I did not really expect it to be that quality and have that many storylines going for it but I I would say to to go differently I I would say Kansas I you know with Van Gisbergen and as surprising as it was 
to witness him actually win the race. I wouldn't say it was so shocking and surprising to me as somebody who pays attention to V8 supercars. And these cars, the next-gen cars, were f were built based off of the V8 supercars in Australia. And that's why, I presume, he succeeded so easily. And it's why he's making the jump to these cars next year and trying to be full-time in them, in his words, by 2025 with whomever, presumably Trackhouse. But uh, I would say it was certainly a shocking moment. Uh, but overall, I mean, I, mean, I guess I, I, for my shocking moment of the year, it'll be like a splintering of, of two events in, from the same driver. Ryan Priest. And Ryan Priest had the most shocking, unbelievable wreck of the year. This and was my second point. By yeah, way. the and the fact that he drove the next week after that was straight out of the Davy Allison playbook. That was unbelievable. And with modern medicine and modern technology, he flipped upwards to 18 times at 180 miles an hour, barrel rolled in this car, and not only survived, got out of the car under his own power and then raced the next week and didn't finish very well, but raced. It is beyond me how Priest was able to race the week after that wreck. And I know he was like, oh, if you got to be a race car driver, you got to be tough. But there's no... How he did not have a massive concussion or anything after that race outside of... I mean, the blood vessels burst in his eyes and he... He looked like a Sith Lord, but, you know, he, it's unbelievable to me that he was able to race the next week. And I would say also on the front of Ryan Priest, the Talladega wreck earlier in the year with himself and Kyle Larson. And I guess that was also the most shocking moment to me where the next-gen car is a car built on reliability, stability, and being built like a brick. These things are not supposed to break. It's like a cinder block. You could throw it off a, a roof, and it's not supposed to break. It's supposed to be impenetrable with how these chassis are built to the point where if it backs into a wall, even if it's a safer barrier, these guys are going to get concussed because the chassis are built so stiff. When Kyle Larson's door was busted in at that wreck at Talladega in the spring, that was genuinely scary because you didn't know on these cars you, and, until that point that these chassis could fail and it did and if that happened on the driver's side which sure it's a little more reinforced than the passenger side of the car Kyle Larson could have died I mean anybody could have died if they got hit driver's side at just the right speed and the right angle that is so frightening to me that was, that was a genuinely shocking moment when that happened at Talladega earlier in the year, I'd say it was a tie. The fact that Priest was able to race, the race after flipping upwards 18 times in the backstretch, and Priest punching a hole in the side of Kyle Larson's car and bursting the chassis, which is not supposed to break. Easily my two most shocking moments of the season. I, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, that, that Priest flip was unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, um, not being around during the 1990s and you see all the footage with Daryl Waltrip and, and Davey and, and everybody who's flipped like that before, we haven't seen that in 25, 30 years. Shocking. No, we have not. All right, we'll move on to the next topic. I would say, and we'll keep it simple on this one, so it'll be a driver and, and or team that exceeded expectations this year and a driver and a team that disappointed. You can either choose a driver or a team or, or both, uh, but a driver and, and or a team that's exceeded your expectations this year and a driver and or a team that really failed your expectations this year. Sean, we'll start with you. For a driver who exceeded expectations, Blaney is the obvious pick, but I'm going to say as the playoffs went on, Martin Truex Jr. staying in it really surprised me. I mean, he, throughout the playoffs, he didn't exactly light the world on fire. He was a consistent top 20 driver, but he just really did enough to coast in the, into the Elite Eight by just staying in it by the skin of his teeth. And also winning the regular season championship helped a little bit, but... Yeah. Again, yeah, but it, I'm, I'm in the playoffs specifically. Just how how disappointing he was after the after the regular season, but still staying in it uh, really surprised me because there were multiple times where, by how he drove in the playoffs, I 
there were multiple rounds where I was saying he was going to be one of the one of the few that were eliminated, but just uh, both times that I did so, it didn't uh, didn't come to be come to happen. And the driver disappointed me as as a fan of the driver. I would say Chase Elliott, and he when he raced, it was I, I mean it was about par for the course. It was just the number of times that he finished in the top five but not close enough to winning were just uh, in uh, not improved but uh, added added on to how he usually how it usually ends up I mean it was the racing equivalent of uh, as also a fan of Penn State football uh, of how I I watch Penn State football of it's the same expectation of uh, there was a conversation every week of oh he's almost there he'll uh, he could he could win this week and then he just never gets over the hill same sort of situation in both those cases but between that and the snowboarding incident earlier in the year as a fan I would probably say him exceeded expectations I have two Chris Busher Prosper Texas's Chris Busher. Population of 30,000. 30, um, <laughs> on a serious note, I don't think anybody expected Chris Busher to come in here with and get three wins on the season, two in a row, and was looking as a championship favorite there for a couple months. Um, and RFK as a whole, Keselowski was up there numerous times, probably should have racked off a couple of wins, but things didn't go his way. And it was just a great year for RFK, and I only expect them to continue that in 2024. My other driver that exceeded expectations was Michael McDowell. You mentioned it earlier, how he waxed the field at Indy, and, and just every week he was up floating around top 15, a lot of the times top 10. 38 years young, Michael mm-hmm. McDowell, mm-hmm. I might I add, who almost got forced out of that ride two years ago mm-hmm. and won a Daytona 500, and I mean – I don't think anybody expected him to eventually get to this level when he hopped over here from Champ Car or mm-hmm. Champ Champ Car 15 years ago. But I, lo- I loved it. Impressive year for McDowell. Uh, I'd say my biggest surprise of the season, positively, the driver that surprised me was Ryan Blaney, and it was what happened at the end of the season. Where I mentioned it earlier, I didn't expect that out of Ryan Blaney. You heard me on this show multiple times over. I said, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen as you, much as I want it we, to happen. We told you the Blaney train. You didn't listen. Yes, I, you said his luck was going to run out. You my said, heart was with Ryan Blaney, but my brain was saying no. It, it, I was thinking close-mindedly that he was not going to evolve as a driver down the stretch, and he did. That, that surprised me so pleasantly. And I loved seeing that out of Ryan Blaney. It's it's what everybody, including myself, have been wanting to witness out of him for years now in that equipment. And he finally got there and, tra- and evolved into the driver that he needed to be. And he was enough to win a championship this year. And here that if you ask me at the beginning of the year if Ryan Blaney was going to win the championship, I'd say no. No, he wasn't. So that was a certainly a team that exceeded my expectations this year, or driver, Ryan Blaney. The team that disappointed me this year, Stuart Haas Racing. Pitiful. Oh my gosh. It was, it was, it was, it was, oh no! It was rough. Thank you, DW. It was not, it was rough. Where, this is a year where Stuart Haas was supposed to rebound. It was a key year. Kevin Harvick is gone at the end of the year. It knew that. And it needed to set up 2024 on somewhat of a good note after a up and down 2022 i mean it started out fine i mean it it won with chase briscoe at phoenix early on in the year and multiple times in the middle of the season with kevin harvick but you know eric almarola was kind of nowhere and uh then you had uh, you had cole custer who ended up winning the xfinity title this year struggled so bad in cup the year before that you know, he got sent down to Xfinity. So you head into this year with Ryan Priest, who is, you know, you're expecting him to do well in the short tracks and not really much else. And uh, Harvick is back. Briscoe is back. Almirola, a surprise, come back. And nothing, nothing from that team this year. Only one of its four cars made the playoffs, accrued multiple massive penalties throughout the year. Chase Briscoe basically got knocked out of orbit because they were they manufactured, what, a hood that was counterfeit you can't do that what are you thinking and 
not to mention, the performance didn't improve throughout the year. It was Harvick hustling these cars to the top 15s when it should have been a 25th place car, because that's where all of his teammates were running the majority of the year. Eric Almarola was, again, nowhere the majority of the year outside of Martinsville at the end and, surprise, surprise. and Atlanta in July. And really, that was it. And uh, Ryan Priest, yeah, did improve as the year went on, but still, up until, like, what? I think the he, I think into the playoffs he only had one top ten. Mm-hmm. He only had one top ten, and it was uh, what Richmond, and that was in like July. Mm-hmm. What like, and, and then you have Briscoe, who had a lot of expectations on him, and he's coming off of a win last year. And if you saw how bad that fourteen car was, the slowest car on track at one point five milers. It was bad. It was. It was as if it was an R&D car out there or a starting park he car. He was like 31st. He was the slowest car on track. He'd be the first car lap down. Yeah. He'd be behind everybody else, including both of the Rick Ware cars, mm-hmm. of which, you know, benef- benefiting from an RFK alliance. But those cars had an, a Stuart Haas alliance last year. And that was just an overall incredibly disappointing year for Stuart Haas racing. I, I really hope that it's able to rebound next year because there's a lot of uncertainty with that team heading in to 2024 with its its lead driver Harvick is on the outs and now you're bringing in a lot of unprovens to kind of fill in the gaps and uh, Josh Berry presumably Noah Gragson who knows uh, it is <sighs> Stuart House Racing was disappointing this year in a year where it it needed to not be on to the next topic we'll talk about a little bit about here as we're, you know, in the last 10-15 minutes of the show. The NASCAR EV car that was leaked this week. NASCAR didn't want that coming out, but there's a Road and Track article about it. And overall, an image leaked where, again, the Road and Track article, if you have not read it, it's by Fred Smith, published a couple days ago. NASCAR's EV racing future is shaped like a crossover, thanks to a leaked image that was, again, put in that article. And... It's a crossover car. It's the popular vehicle produced by um, auto manufacturers right now. It's the hot thing where you look at the Mustang, it's now a crossover. You look at the Camaro, it's now a crossover. You look at all of these cars, it's not really a car anymore. They're crossovers. It's like a mix between an SUV and a car. And that's the new popular thing alongside electric vehicles, EVs. That's the hot new thing that automakers are trying to push. And I wanted to ask you guys thoughts on that EV car. If NASCAR does go to EV racing in the near future here, you know, what are you expecting out of it? Dale, I'll start with you. It'll be interesting to see if this EV can match uh, the power and excitement that current NASCAR brings and what gas vehicles have brought American culture for century a century now over a century and i just i don't know i can't see it but i could be totally wrong because i know those evs have got some horsepower so uh, that in the picture that was leaked can't help but to notice that it looks like a cot i, I thought the oh, same thing the when wing. i saw the, the i saw the spoiler and i thought that yeah. that looks like a car of tomorrow spoiler the ginormous wing oh no <laughs> we've seen this do it no oh no <laughs> We've seen this act before, um, you know, but then again, the COT probably looked crazy in 2006 when it was being tested, and now people are nostalgic for the COT. So That's just how NASCAR fans work. Yeah, it's a, we, we don't realize how good we have it till it's gone. Mm-hmm. How, however, majority of those COT races were not that exciting. That's a hot take, but for another time. At least with the wing. Yes, yeah. with the wing. Sean, what do you think about this EV car? As far as how it drives and the excitement it brings i'm going to wait to speak all that until there's more tests there's there was really only one test that i saw and they touched on it in the road and track article but there's just one in pike's peak where apparently the horsepower touched uh, 1400 horsepower so Mm. we'll see what happens there but the one interesting thing that they also touched on was possibly no engine noises which is going to be weird for a majority of nascar fans who are used to uh, who aren't used to like what they have in IndyCar, where there's really no engine sounds. And I remember, I remember uh, hearing that, or the lack thereof, when uh, when they raced at Pocono, or when IndyCar ra- uh, raced at Pocono. Oddly it, quiet. It it was, and as someone who mostly watches NASCAR, it was weird. But with 
how NASCAR has grown and its fan base to, you know, it's not like 1997 anymore where there's only, you know, NASCAR fans who are used to, you know, V8s. There's, there's a more diverse uh, sector of people who are used to IndyCar or F1, other types of racing. So it, we'll see how that goes. Or maybe it'll be like what the Mustang was rumored to have where it was just piping fake noise, uh, fake engine noises in there. But uh, as far as how it drives and the excitement it brings, we'll see with more testing. But it looks interesting thus far. I'll tell you what I like and what I don't like, to keep it quick. What I like is 1,000 horsepower. That's incredible. That's what fans have been wanting for a while, is horsepower back in these cars. And... It's presumed that these cars are going to be generating over a thousand horsepower. It'll need that because they're a little chunkier than the Cup cars. But I like I like the sound of a thousand horsepower, especially with cars that are hard to drive. If it's anything like the next gen car with all this horsepower, you know, I like that. That's cool. What I don't like, and this this could add this could add another hour to the show, but I'll bite my tongue for the most part ev vehicles i think it's very much as of now in its infancy it's like the ford edsel right now where it's 50s cars where evs are in this showy stage of come and buy it look it's cool it's futuristic yet ultimately the cars are disposable consumers aren't rushing to get ev vehicles and i think if nascar sets up an ev series it's at the desire of the automakers and not nascar itself uh it could be a matter of just yeah. jumping on trends, if anything. It's, it is, it's a trendy thing. If the racing is good, you know, I don't care. It's another series to get to watch, and I think it'd be pretty cool. All I care is that don't replace the Xfinity Series cars with this. Please do not. Don't do it. I know it's tempting. Steve Phelps, Steve O'Donnell, I know you're out there somewhere just waiting to replace the fantastic Xfinity cars that we have with this. But don't do it. Make it its own series. Make it its own thing. Or like they could, did the truck series. Or they could replace Arca cars with it. No, Arca wouldn't have the money for that. <laughs> could you imagine Brad Smith being like, oh, I got to buy an EV car now? He'd show up with a Chevy Volt thinking he could run it at Daytona. Half the field would. Wait, I can't run this? Oh. I, I disagree with that, but I think it would be an interesting... I think they'd have to add it as its own series and then try and get cup teams involved with it. Ditto what originally happened in the Super Trucks back when that was what it was called, where it's like Hendrick had a truck, RCR had a truck, and it was like, hey, big teams in NASCAR, come p- participate in this. You know, it's pretty cheap. Come have some fun. We need to establish teams, please. And I think that's essentially what's going to end up happening here with the EV series whenever it does happen. It's going to happen at some point, probably next year or in two years. Within the next two years, this is going to be a thing. I don't know where, I don't know when, but it will happen. You know what button we need on the soundboard? What? Benny Parsons button. He can't do that. Oh no, he can't do that! (laughs) Because we could have used it three times tonight. Yeah, we could have used it three times tonight. And uh, we'll move on to the next topic. Colleague Racing is announcing its drivers tomorrow. Chris Rice, uh, the team president, has teased that its uh, drivers are going to be whoever hasn't already been announced. Daniel Hemrick is already in one of the two cup cars, but three Xfinity cars and a cup car up for grabs. Gentlemen, who do you think is in those uh, seats for 2024? Dale, let's start with you. I think that it's pretty much obvious and widely well-known because there's a lot of reports on it that Ty Dillon will probably get the 16 Cup car. Um, That's my pick for that. And then um, there are three Xfinity cars. You know, Dale Quarterly will end up there. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yes. Please. As much as we'd love to see it. Speaking it into existence. Yes. That's incredible. (laughs) Um... AJ Allmendinger will probably end up there. Um, I don't see why he would go anywhere else. Um, another pick I have is Derek Krause. He's made numerous starts with Colleague, um, and he brings some money with him. And then their other car I have is um, Anthony Alfredo. I think those are your three, Allmendinger, Krause, and Alfredo for Xfinity. I agree with 
most of the uh, most of these honestly and especially Ty Dillon because that's been long rumored for it feels like months now and I mean it's driving wise a lot of people have questioned it but he brings in he brings in funding and it's uh, kind of, I guess I don't know I, I what do you got for the Xfinity cars Xfinity Xfinity I I, I agree with I, I agree with Dale all. Dale Quarterly Dale Quarterly <laughs> Dale Quarterly Dale Garrett's gonna be in one of the cars <laughs> with Almondinger and Krause at least I agree with those third one uh, question mark I, I I don't I don't I could fill in the gap want me to say mine sure. Uh, so my predictions for next year, I say Ty Dillon's going to be in the cup car, although there was a bit of a bidding war from what I heard for the cup car between uh, himself and a guy who's going to, I predict, uh, will be in one of the Xfinity cars, Anthony Alfredo, and joined by AJ Allmendinger going back to the Xfinity series. And then my shock pick, and I'm, I'm saying this, it's been mentioned around Josh Williams, who I don't think anybody was expecting to be in a college racing car next year. I'm saying that he will because there's reports saying that he will be. So Josh Williams, who you might remember, NASCAR fans, he parked his car on the start-finish line at Atlanta in the spring, got out, has the beautiful flow main haircut and the, and the goatee. That's him. And it was mentioned earlier this week, uh, someone mentioned he must have sold a lot of t-shirts from that because he's going to presumably be in a colleague racing car next year full-time in the Xfinity series. So I would say those are who I'm expecting to be in those cards. Say Ty Dillon fills out the other cup car, which Ty Dillon, great guy. I don't know about that cup lineup for next year. It doesn't really have, it's like, it's water when it, it, it needs to be something a bit spicier, you know. And uh, the Xfinity team, Alfredo, did a solid job with BJ McLeod Motorsports this year. Josh Williams has always been a solid underdog, and AJ Allmendinger won a, almost won a title two years ago. So I don't think it's necessarily a dire straits lineup for a colleague on the Xfinity side, but on the Cup side, I guarantee I'm just calling it right now that lineup's going to be different for 2025 if that cup team is even a cup team by that point in time so we'll have uh, one more topic on the show tonight mentioned it earlier it's the formula one grand prix las vegas uh it is under the lights it's going to be a bit of a late race and you know just wanted to hear your guys thoughts on that race in las vegas it's going to be a late one but overall a incredibly cool event yeah, it's um, certainly a once in a lifetime. That well, or is it? We got NASCAR in Chicago this year, so who knows? But um, certainly, this is going to be really cool. I've been seeing uh, a lot of hype for it. Uh, I've heard the news of the the ticket prices and the hotel prices. It is not going as planned. No. Uh, <laughs> but um, from a spectacle perspective, it's going to be awesome. Um, definitely definitely going to be cool from the rooftops and going down the vegas strip which is known notoriously for having all those neon lights and we're going to have f1 cars barreling down into turns going super fast and it's it's going to be awesome bringing motorsports directly to the city streets is just incredible and the one of the things other than the time that interest me i mean for the life of me I, I don't know why they're starting vegas at 10 p.m it's Pacific because of time europe it, europe that's yeah that, that makes sense i want the european fans to tune in that that but make, continue that, sorry that makes sense but other than that the the temperature is going to be interesting and how that plays a part too it's going to reportedly drop down in into the 50s and there was really only it from what i read there were only a few other times where races have really dipped below that in in F1 at least recently uh, the 1978 Canadian Grand Prix was one of them where it dipped a couple of degrees lower but with the de- uh, the desert getting colder at night it'll be interesting to see how that plays a part but on paper it looks like a really really cool cool race especially with them driving downtown in the strip I'm uh, I cannot wait for the aerial views of this race and i mean really just the views of how it will look because it's going to be dead of night uh it'll it'll be near midnight even on the west coast and it's going to be dark the neon lights are going to be bright it's going to be fun i the 
Formula One already races in Singapore, and that's always a one of the most aesthetically pleasing races of the season. I know some of the drivers have been a little worried about the racing surface because some of it is freshly paved, some of it is not. It's going to be a little all over the place, but I think it prevents an interesting challenge for the drivers. Maybe, maybe just maybe, someone different than Max Verstappen will win. I guess we'll just have to find out. Uh, but I'm I'm excited because of the grandeur of it all. Uh, not too thrilled about, obviously, all the ticket prices and everything, because it's Liberty Media gouging American racing fans, mm-hmm. and you know the average Joe you or me couldn't afford to go to that race. We we would have to watch that on television. I don't like that. It's why NASCAR and its relatively affordable ticket prices, it's, you know, it's why it's more successful in America alongside a laundry list of reasons mm-hmm. than Formula One, and it's just hampering Formula One's, I guess, ability to grow. I think the start time is also not ideal for American fans at all because unless you're a diehard racing fan you're probably not going to be watching that i think it's more beneficial to the european fans than it is to american fans so i hope that works out for formula one but i'm i'm excited about the visuals i don't know about the racing and i think the novelty of it all is very very cool Mm -hmm. i agree all right so with that Sean Kelly, Dale Garrett. Uh, This might be the final Speed Zone of the Year. At least we won't have one next week. I'd like to thank you both for uh, being on the show many, many times this year. It's always an absolute pleasure. Ditto. Thanks for having me. All right. That will do it for tonight's episode of Speed Zone. Uh, For Sean, Dale, myself, everybody that's contributed to this show over the last uh, year or so. This is not the final episode ever, but the last of the season. Have a good night. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.